Hello, scholars. For the following two chapters, please take careful notes. There will be a quiz posted on Google Classroom that I'd like you to complete by Thursday. If you're unable to, please get in touch with me as soon as possible so that I can help figure something out for you and give you the time that you need to do your best work, not your fastest. I hope you all had a great Easter. Chapter 8. Senator Vinicius. The boys looked around nervously, but fortunately, nobody was paying any attention to them. If they recognize us as Xanthos' pupils, they'll tear us to pieces, Antonius said tensely. Flavius turned white and tried to make himself as small as possible. Follow me quietly, Musius whispered. With deliberate slowness, he sauntered toward the marble staircase. Whistling idly, he climbed the steps between the columns. The others followed his example, but as soon as they reached the top, they dashed off in a wild flight down the length of the corridor, leaped down the steps three at a time, and gave the forum a wide berth. Not, not until they reached the foot of Esquiline Hill did they begin to feel fairly safe and slow their space. Did you notice the slaves copying the news, Publius said? Before long, all of Rome will know that Caius is a dumbbell. Perhaps Vinicius's copyist was there too, Flavius worried. No doubt about it, Musius exclaimed. We must get to Vinicius before he does. And he started running again. In front of Vinicius's villa, Publius was waiting for them. You're a regular marathon runner, Musius said in praise. Oh, I practically walked, Publius said, still panting. What did Rufus say when you told him his writing tablet had been stolen from school? Julius asked. Nothing, Publius replied. He was sound asleep. I didn't bother to wake him, just took the tablet and scooted. Musius pulled a bronze ring and a big, uniformed doorkeeper, who looked like a former gladiator, opened the front door. What do you want? he asked gruffly. We must speak to the senator, Musius said. The doorkeeper raised his eyebrows in astonishment. And who do you think you are, he demanded. Pupils of the Xanthos school, Musius answered. The doorkeeper was not impressed. Oh ho, isn't that wonderful, he said. The master will be flattered, I'm sure. Is he expecting you? That isn't necessary, Musius said. He knows us. We've come about Rufus. Rufus? Who is Rufus? Rufus is our friend, son, the son of Marcus Praetonius, Musius replied with dignity. The doorkeeper frowned and thought, Marcus Praetonius? Marcus Praetonius, oh yes, isn't he the general who lost the battle against the Gauls? That isn't Rufus's fault, Musius said indignantly. Go away, you kids, the doorkeeper snorted. He was about to slam the door in their faces when Claudia, accompanied by one of her governesses, appeared at the back of the vestibule. Musius instantly shouted, Claudia, Claudia, he won't let us in. Claudia came running up and ordered the doorkeeper to admit the boys. They're my friends, she said firmly. The man's manner instantly changed. He flung open the door with a flourish, calling out, right foot forward, please, to ward off the misfortune it would bring upon the household if anyone entered with his left foot foremost. How nice of you to come, Claudia said joyfully. I was awfully bored. She was now dressed in a flamingo pink tunic with a silver with a flower embroidered hem. On her feet were dainty little silken house sandals. 
I'm sorry we have no time to play, Musia said gravely. We must speak to your father at once. We found out for sure that Rufus didn't do it. Oh, that's wonderful, Claudia said, clapping her hands with pleasure. Take off your sandals and come along. The boys quickly slipped out of their sandals, shot a triumphant glance back at the doorkeeper, and ran along behind Claudia. She led them into a large courtyard surrounded with columns and instructed them to wait. I'll tell my father you want to see him, she said. She slipped through a curtained opening at a farther end of the court. The boys straightened out the folds of their togas and gave each other a critical inspection to make sure they looked respectable enough for the senator. Flavius went to the fountain in the center of the court, moistened his hands, and slicked back his hair. The others followed his example. Hello, a voice suddenly spoke behind them. They whirled around and saw Caius standing between two pillars, a rather sheepish smile on his face. What are you fellows doing here? He asked with forced cheerfulness. Their only response was a hostile stare. Caius gave them a sickly grin. Forgotten how to talk, he asked. But the boys remained stubbornly silent. At that, his face flushed and he hissed furiously. Idiots! Then he shrugged, turned on his heel, and went out. Now he knows we're mad at him, Flavius remarked. We'll settle with him yet, Musius growled. Just wait till we get him to our cave, Antonius said. He dipped his right foot into the basin of the fountain, but immediately jerked it out again. Whew, that is cold. The curtain parted. Claudia appeared and called excitedly. Come along, my father is waiting for you. The boys followed her. She led them into a lofty, magnificently furnished room. The floor was covered by deep carpets and wide couches with plump cushions about them. There were paintings on the walls, and from the ceiling hung costly lamps of Alexandrian glass. Claudia pointed to a tall double door between two marble statues. My father is in there, in the gymnasium, she said. Is he in a good mood? Antonius asked. Not very, Claudia said, wrinkling her nose. I only talked to him through the door, but he sounded like a bear. Are you scared? Not a bit, Musia snapped, but he cast a rather worried glance at the door. Go right in, Claudia said. He won't bite. He knows you after all. She sat down on a cushion, leaned back gracefully against it, and smiled encouragement at the boys. Musius gave a quick tug to his toga once more and opened the door. The senator was lying on a wide marble table, having his back massaged by two slaves. The room smelled strongly of perfumed oils. He turned his head toward the boys and asked harshly, Well, what do you want? His hair was snow white. His eyebrows were very bushy and still a dense black, which looked odd to the boys. His words came out in a staccato rhythm because the slaves were at the moment pounding his back with their palms. We've come about Rufus, Musius said. The senator glared at them. If you've come to tell me a pack of lies, you can get right out, he said threateningly. A rotten beginning, Musius thought, but he tried to go on. You see, we are Rufus's friends. We go to school with him. I know that, the senator interrupted. Why hasn't Rufus come with you? He's sick, caught a cold, Musius replied. Nonsense, Vinicius growled. He's hiding because he has a guilty conscience. He honestly did not do it. Musius hastily went on. We would put our hands in the fire for him. The senator sat up, pushing the slaves aside. Vouch for him all you like, he said. 
You won't get anywhere with me that way. He took his tunic from the slaves, put it on, and in spite of his considerable girth, swung nimbly off the table. Stooping, he picked up a bundle of wax tablets and held them under Musius's nose. Here, take a look at the newspaper. My copyist has just brought me the latest edition. All Rome knows about the desecration of the temple. People expect me to find the culprit and turn him over to the police. I intend to go directly to the prefect of the city now and lodge a charge against Rufus. His vile act is an insult to our dearly beloved emperor, and he must pay for it. I am sorry, but consideration for my friend Pretonius cannot be allowed to sway my decision. Musius was alarmed to hear that the newspaper report had already reached the senator, so they had come too late. But Rufus has sworn he did not do it, he stammered in confusion. That was as far as he could get. Then he lied, the senator rapped out. My son says it is Rufus's handwriting. My son would not tell an untruth. Rufus's handwriting was forged, Musius cried out. The senator was taken aback. What's that you say? he asked. His handwriting was forged, Musius replied. We have definitive proof of it. He told Vinicius about the theft of the writing tablet from Xantippus. Someone stole it in order to have Rufus's handwriting to imitate, he finished his tale. At this point, Julius spoke up. With a self-important expression, he said, Here's Rufus's real handwriting. He handed Vinicius the tablet Publius had just brought. Vinicius glared at it. Why, here it is again. Caius is a dumbbell, he exclaimed angrily. The boys were frightened. They had not expected this reaction. That's, that's our fault, Musius stammered. I mean, we had Rufus write the same thing again because we wanted to compare his writing with the scrawl on the temple. Hmm, Vinicius growled, but he sounded somewhat appeased. And who would you say forged Rufus's handwriting? That we don't know, Musius admitted. It certainly wasn't any of us, Flavius protested, flushing. Vinicius turned to Musius again. You say Rufus wrote this? he asked, pointing to the tablet. Yes, Musius said. We thought that with your experience as a judge, you would see at once that the writing on the temple wall was a fake. I don't know much about handwritings, the senator said, but the theory evidently intrigued him. Stepping to the window, he stood there for a while, looking alter alternately at the writing tablet and the inscription on the wall of the temple. Finally, he said, these two handwritings certainly look very similar. They would have to be similar if someone were deliberately making a copy, Publius said, grinning. Vinicius returned to them. He planted himself in front of the boys and looked at them searchingly. All right, he finally said. I will look into this theory of yours. He turned to a well-dressed slave who had been lingering respectfully in the background without the throughout the conversation. Sulpicius, run and see whether Scribonus is home. Ask him to come to me at once. If he is already at the Apollo library, take an express sedan chair and bring him here. The slave hurried out. Vinicius sat down and asked the boys to be seated also. Scribonus is the director of the Apollo library, he said. He is the outstanding handwriting expert in Rome. If Scribonus attests that the writing is forged, it is forged. And if he says it is genuine, it is. It is forged, Musius said with conviction. That will be for Scribonus to say, the senator held. What will you do if it is forged? Flavius asked. That I don't know, Vinicius replied, laughing. 
but at any rate, we will know that Rufus is not guilty. He would not be likely to forge his own handwriting, would he? Of course not, the boys burst out. They were feeling a great deal better. Vinicius wasn't so unreasonable after all. In fact, he became quite friendly. He asked them about their parents, about school, and what they were planning to be. I want to be an orator, Julia said. My father takes me to the Senate with him so that I'll learn. And I'm going to be a charioteer, Antonius said at the top of his voice. What a thrill, flying around the arena with four fry Arabian stallions harnessed to the chariot. The people will throw flowers down upon me and the emperor will crown me with laurels. Their pleasant chant was interrupted by voices behind the door. In a moment, Sulpicius entered, followed by a tiny old man with a long gray beard, Scribonus. The boys realized at once that he must be a Greek. Almost all of the scholars in Rome were Greeks. Moreover, Romans did not wear beards. Scribonus wore no toga, only a shabby tunic which badly needed laundering. But although the man looked like a beggar, the senator greeted him with great respect. How kind of you to come, he said, and started to explain what had happened. Scribonus listened attentively, head tilted to one side. Louder, he said impatiently ever so often. Finally, he took the writing tablet, held it close to his eyes, and asked irritably, Caius is a dumbbell? Who is this Caius? Vinicius's good humor evaporated. He frowned with annoyance. Caius is my son, he snapped. So I thought, Scribonus said, unperturbed. He thrust a finger into his ear and wiggled it back and forth. Then he handed down his verdict. This was written by a boy about 12 years old. The writing is crude, but already has personal character. And where is the supposed forgery? Over there on the temple wall, Vinicius said, pointing out of the window. Scribonus walked to the window, but took hardly a glance at the temple. That's much too far for me, he said. I'm nearsighted. We will have to go over there. Vinicius and Scribonus went out, followed by the boys. As they passed through the main hall, Claudia sprang from the couch and joined the party. What did my father say? She asked Musius in a low voice. He's been most cooperative, Musius replied rather condescendingly. They went out through the front door and crossed the short distance to the Temple of Minerva. Scribonus again examined the writing tablet. Then he went up close to the wall, so that the tip of his nose was almost touching the stone and stood in silence for a long time, studying the painted red letters. At last, he said, The paint has run into the center of the U, and the upper part of the A is also smeared, but these details do not deceive me. The boys held their breath, but Scribonus took his time. From his tunic, he took out a large, multicolored handkerchief, rubbed his nose deliberately, replaced the handkerchief, and stood looking again from the wall to the writing tablet. Finally, he spoke. The writing on the wall is by the same hand as the writing on the tablet. Chapter 9. Wet Clothes and Empty Money Box Vinicius, who had been so reasonable, was angry once more. Bring that Rufus to me at once, he growled. I'll talk to him. He thanked Scribonus for his professional services, took Claudia by the hand, and returned to the house. Scribonus handed the writing tablet to Julius and strolled off. The boys angrily watched him go. He would mess things up for us, Publius said. So Rufus lied after all, Musius murmured, yet I would have sworn he was telling the truth. 
What's the use now, Julius said. The die is cast and Scribonus has ruined our case. It looks bad for Rufus. He can still run away, Flavius said. It's too late for that now, Musius said, and he doesn't want to anyway. We'd better go and get him. This time, they were not in such a great hurry. Their footsteps lagged, and it took them nearly 15 minutes to reach the Pretonius's house. The old, white-bearded slave looked pale and troubled as he opened the door for them. If the gods be thanked you have come, he exclaimed. My mistress has asked about you several times. Go in quickly. Something terrible has happened. Each of the boys felt a sinking sensation in the pit of his stomach. They were so flustered that they forgot to remove their sandals. They made for the main hall and hesitated uneasily at the entrance. Rays of sunlight fell through the roof opening upon the household altar in the corner, which was adorned with early spring flowers. And Cat lay asleep on the couch. The first impression was one of peace and harmony. But then they saw Rufus's mother, Livia, sitting motionless in an armchair clo close by the wall from which her husband's weapon collection hung. She was in tears, and her favorite slave girl stood around her in dismay. When Livia caught sight of the boys, she sprang to her feet and came toward them. Rufus has been arrested, she said, struggling to steady her voice. The boys were speechless with horror. You must help me, Livia pleaded. You were all his friends, aren't you? You know he has done nothing bad. They say he is guilty of desecrating a temple. I cannot believe that. My son is no hoodlum. About half an hour ago, an army officer and two soldiers came to take him to prison. Rufus was in his room, but he must have heard us talking about him, because he came out wrapped only in his blanket and asked, What's the matter, mother? The officer put a hand on his shoulder and said, You have insulted our emperor. You are under arrest. Rufus wrenched away and came running to me, crying, I swear I did not do it, mother. He was as white as this tunic of mine. He wanted to say more, but the officers shouted at him to be quiet and even threatened him with his sword. They led him away just as he was, without even giving him a chance to get dressed. I was nearly out of my mind. I would have run after them, but my girls held me back for fear I would be arrested too. My poor son, she sobbed. It can't, it can't be true. The boys looked down at the floor in embarrassment. At last, Musius murmured. We did not believe it either. Livia gave him a look of gratitude. They tell me that you were here earlier, shortly before Rufus was arrested. Why was Rufus not in school? What has been going on? Musius told her the story, with the other boys filling in his omissions. Livia listened more and more astonished. Rufus behaved very foolishly in school, she said sadly, but Caius also did wrong. He knows how much Rufus thinks of his father. Ever since the news of this unfortunate battle arrived, Rufus has been a changed boy. He is upset about his father, so that his anger at Caius was only natural. But angry or not, he is still not the kind of boy to desecrate a temple. There are plenty of other walls to write on in Minerva Square. There is one point I do not understand, Livia said. You told me that the senator wants to see Rufus. Has Senator Venisius already called on the prefect of the city, or has he not? No, Musius said proudly, we stopped him from doing that. And yet somebody must have accused Rufus, Livia said. Don't you see? Here was a startling thought. If the senator had not yet filed charges against Rufus, 
who was responsible for the arrest. We are the only ones who know it is Rufus's handwriting, Julia said thoughtfully. I mean, just us, and the senator, and Claudia, and Caius. And Scribonus, Musius said. But no, Rufus was already arrested by the time Scribonus had heard the story. Perhaps Caius denounced him, Publius suggested. Impossible, the others exclaimed. Why not, Publius asked. Caius was pretty mad. That's silly, Julius pointed out. Caius knew his father was going to file charges against Rufus. Even supposing he wanted Rufus punished, he couldn't have planned it any better. His father, the famous senator, going to the prefect personally. Besides, the prefect would never arrest someone just on Caius's say-so. This last point convinced the others. Perhaps it was Vinicius's secretary, or old Herodias, Caius's tutor, Flavius said. They also knew about Rufus. Julius had an answer for that, too. They are slaves, he pointed out, and slaves cannot bear witness against a Roman citizen. Besides, they would never have dared to act without their master's knowledge. But it must have been someone, Musius exclaimed, baffled. Simple enough. Someone saw him doing it, Publius said calmly. Saw whom doing it, Julius asked, desperately making signs to Publius to keep quiet. But Publius did not understand. Someone saw Rufus writing, Caius as a dumbbell on the temple wall. Livia looked at them in fright. So you do believe that Rufus is guilty, she asked anxiously. Publius looked down at the floor and the other boys also avoided meeting Livia's eyes. You cannot believe that, Livia said firmly. My son swore that he did not do it and he has never lied to me. But her confidence was wavering, for she turned to one of her slave girls and asked, when did Rufus come home last night? I don't know, the girl said, but Rompus must know, mistress. Did Rompus bring Rufus home from school last night? Livia asked the boys. Rufus had already left, Musius said. Rompus hurried home, hoping to meet Rufus on the way. I have not spoken to Rompus about this, Livia said. Unfortunately, he is not here now. I was unwell this morning and Rompus was sent to the doctor to fetch healing herbs for me. The doctor lives on the other side of the Tiber River, so that Rompus will not be back for three hours at least. We can only wait for him. Perhaps you will be kind enough to come back later. I need your help. I myself can do little about this. Of course, I have already sent an express courier to my husband, but the man will take at least five days to reach Gaul, assuming that he can find enough changes of horses along the way. Ten days there and back at best. And meanwhile, what terrible things might happen. We must find the real culprit as soon as possible, and you can help me. You won't desert Rufus, will you? The boys assented heartily, but they were secretly wondering in what way they could help Livia, for by now they were almost certain that Rufus was guilty. Livia, however, clung to a last hope. Rufus could not have come home late last night, she said. Otherwise, Rompus would have told me. The boys did not understand. You told me that the desecration of the temple could have taken place only between the fifth and sixth hours of the night, didn't you? She asked. Yes, Julius said. The policemen swore that they saw nothing before the fifth hour, and by the time we discovered the writing in the morning, the paint was already dry, which means it had to have been put on the wall not much later than the fifth hour of the night. That would mean Rufus would have had to leave the house last night, Livia continued, and that is impossible. 
The door is locked and well guarded. He could not crawl through the windows because they are much too small, and the garden wall is too high to climb over. Once again, the boys were taken aback. From their own experiences, they knew there was no chance of getting out of their own houses unnoticed late at night. Perhaps Rompus secretly let him out, Julia suggested. No, Livia said firmly. That is out of the question. I trust Rompus completely. He is utterly loyal to us. We could not have a better tutor for Rufus. Rompus is more of a member of the family than a slave. My husband brought him back from Macedonia when he was still a boy, and we have raised him as if he were our own son. In fact, we intend to give him his freedom soon, and he will then be able to choose whether to stay with us or open a small shop somewhere in town. She sighed. I suppose it is best for you all to go home now. There is nothing more we can do at the moment. We must wait to hear what Ruf Rumpus has to say. We left our school things in Rufus's room. May we go get them? Julius asked. Livia nodded. The boys hurried to Rufus's room, followed by Livia, who held the curtain aside for them so they would have more light. The boys picked up their stuff and started to leave, but Musia suddenly remembered his lantern, which Rufus had taken by mistake the night before. He looked around for it. Rufus's room was furnished with Spartan simplicity. Along the wall stood the bed, over which hung a portrait of Rufus's father in full general's uniform. Along the other wall was a small table, a hassock, and a shelf for school books and toys. He had no wardrobe. His clothes hung from big nails. What are you looking for? Julius asked. My lantern, Musius said. Rufus took it with him last night by mistake. It was an expensive lantern and has my name engraved on it. My family will make a fuss if they notice that I don't have it. It ought to be around here, Antonia said, peering about the room. What is it? Livia asked, coming in. I'm looking for my lantern, Musius said, flushing. I, I lent it to Rufus, and I'd like to have it back. It must be among his things on the shelf, Livia said. Musius rummaged, but found nothing on the shelf except Rufus's books and writing materials. Eleven marbles, a top, several broken wooden soldiers, a small knife, a fragment of Alexandrian glass, and a money box for savings. Publius took the box from his hand and shook it curiously. It's empty, he said, replacing it on the shelf. Meanwhile, Antonius had crawled under the bed. He emerged with a bundle of clothing. This is all I could find, he said in disappointment. But Livia was startled. It's most unlike Rufus to hide things under his bed, she said. He is usually so orderly. She took the clothes from Antonius and promptly exclaimed, Why, these clothes are soaking wet. She held them up to show the boys. The clothes looked as though they had just been taken out of a tub full of water. She had only to press them for fat drops to splatter down upon the stone floor. Why would they be wet? Livia said in wonderment. At this moment, a slave girl came rushing into the room. Rompus is already back, mistress, she said breathlessly. Already? Livia asked. Then he could not have gone to the doctor. No, mistress, the girl said. He turned back to bring you important news. All right, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to complete your quiz on Google Classroom by Thursday. Yeah.